Welcome. You're listening to Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. We hope today's message helps you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you guys this morning. I'm Barrett Bowden, lead pastor here at Island Community Church, and welcome uh, to Sunday worship and to the start of our Go Week. This is David Frazier, who is our ICC Global Missions Coach, and the two of us together uh, have the joy of uh, co-teaching today and next Sunday. I thought I was preaching today. I don't know why. (laughs) <laughs> I, I barged in. <laughs> um, You're next week. We will call ourselves the dynamic duo, okay? <laughs> it's not every week that we have co-teaching here at ICC, but um, David and I have been great friends for a long time, and we share together the joy of helping to lead out uh, in the work of global missions and discipleship uh, involving global missions here in our church. And so if you haven't heard already, if you haven't figured it out by the stage and the lobby and the songs... <clears throat> It's Global Missions Week. Everybody on the same page? Yes. All right. Um, Our theme this week is His Mission, My Job. I just have a question. Does anybody work um, during the week, whether at home or through a vocation or career? Show of hands. Yeah. Got a job? Yeah. Employed? Okay. I'll wait longer. Show of hands. Or do you plan to have a do job? Do you plan to have a job? Some of y'all are working toward okay. actually having work. Okay, then it's for them, buddy. Um, here's what we are trying to do this week. We are trying to help you understand a new pathway, a biblical pathway, for considering global missions. In fact, the pathway looks something like this. What we are doing this week is we are trying to help you understand that you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, are called to be a part of what he is doing among the nations. Mm -hmm. We are called to go to the nations. And some of us think about global missions perhaps in a wrong way. Some of us think perhaps that in order to do the work of global missions, we have to give up being a dentist or a teacher, or we have to give up being an engineer or a doctor, whatever it is that you do. And what we are trying to say is, over the next, uh, this Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, and then next Sunday, we are going to be trying to say, no, go to the nations, but you can take your job with you. In fact, you can use your job as part of what God is doing. Amen. And so we're thrilled um, about the opportunity. Real quick, I want to give you a glimpse of just the background behind why we do Global Missions Week, one of our core measures of discipleship. And by the way, if you have something to take notes this morning, I always love to see uh, us engaging beyond just hearing, really working to take things to heart and to remember things. And so at any point today, you're welcome to take notes. But we say one of our core measures of discipleship is that we have, as believers in Christ, we are called to have a missional mindset. This is not for a special group or a special department in the church. This is for all believers. This is a thing that should be growing in our life. This is a fruit we should be bearing. And what we mean when we say missional mindset is we we mean we should have a clear calling, a sense that we're called, and our life should demonstrate active involvement in this way. Through our life that the gospel would be spreading and churches would be being planted here in our city, but also 
around the world. That marks every growing believer in Christ is a growth in the sense of calling and the growth of an involvement and in seeing the gospel spread in churches planted around the world. So today, um, if you're curious about what we're going to be doing, um, and then I'm going to take some time to pray before we get started. What we aim to do this morning, all right, is first, we want to give a little background to the why behind the what of global missions. We want to walk through scripture and help you discover God's heart, his mission for all peoples. Now, just so you guys know, um, we're not going to be able to cover this in the ways that we have covered this in the past because of this year's theme that God's put on our heart. And so if you're curious, if, if this morning the first half of the sermon leaves you wanting more, then there are two goobers that taught yeah. two years ago there he is. here on this stage. Uh-huh. Um, and actually right now you can go to the ICC app, you can click on Go Week, and you can get a direct link to the resources. There are multiple messages taught on the biblical foundations of missions. So if you haven't had a chance to be discipled thoroughly in that, we would encourage you to check out that resource. But the first part of the message today would be to uh, actually discover uh, what it looks like to know God's heart. But the second part of the message, I'll go back, is here, which is considering the role that your job like your engineering job, your dentistry job, whatever it is that you do, even being a worker at home, your job could play in the work of global missions, which is why our theme this year is called His Mission. Y'all say it with me. His Mission, My Job. Can we use our fingers for a second? His Mission, My Job. One more time. His Mission, My Job. All right. So David, now that you're regretting doing this with me. Um, <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the core truth of what we're trying to get across okay. in these days, what God's put on our heart. Okay. So the core truth uh, that we're doing, we're going to call this the conference core truth, is that every follower of Christ must discover their particular role in God's mission to the nations. That's what we're doing in the missions. Everybody has to play a role. And so we want every follower, every ICCer to find their particular role. Therefore, we should all consider the strategic opportunities that our jobs could play in mission. So that is what we're gonna call our core truth. Now, some might say, are you trying to send us all over there? No, many of us have to stay, okay? And many of us need to stay and be the senders and the supporters. But we really wanna challenge you this morning. Are you sure it's not you and not, you're always thinking it's, yeah, this must be for someone else because I'm in school or I have a career. Um, So some of us are gonna have to go and some of those, what we say is, some of us will leave our nets and go, as the fisher, as the disciples did, but some of us are supposed to take our nets with us. That's what I did. And so we're challenging all of us to consider ways in which you can take your nets with you. Yeah. So I want to pray um, before we get started this morning. And I want the question that David just asked to be something that right now as we pray that you're open to. Are you sure that it's not you? Mm -hmm. In other words, for the the global missions task to be finished, for all peoples of the world to hear, there's gonna be many of us who need to go. We're gonna need to, to surrender, to be open. Are we even open to hearing God's voice? Are we open to the call of God? Are we open to rethinking where we live for the glory of God and the gladness of all peoples? Are we open to this? What we're inviting you to do right now is just to be open. (laughs) Just to be open to God, just to hear his voice. 
Why would you want to close your heart when the God of the universe is here and he's speaking and he's working and there's these wonderful purposes that he's fulfilling? This is the greatest work. This is the, the greatest joy is to be a part of what he's doing. So right now, I just want to pray that in these, today and Tuesday, Wednesday, next Sunday, that, that we're just open because God is stirring. He says, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he may send laborers into the harvest. So right now, I want to pray uh, toward that end. Father, we thank you for the joy that it is to know you. You are the best. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your unbelievable, amazing love for us and your love for all people. Thank you for your grace and kindness to us in Jesus. It is by grace that we have been saved. Thank you for the gospel, the good news of who you are and what you've done, the work you've finished, what you are able to do for all who call out to you, to all who trust you. God, you have made me new. You have made us new. God, we are so grateful for you. And Lord, we desire so much for others to, to be able to know you in the ways that we know you, to be able to experience the joy of your salvation in the ways that we know your joy. So Father, we just want today to be open, to listen more to your voice, to hear your heart, to listen to your words that are true, to, to be receptive to the work of your Holy Spirit, to, to, to have our perspectives change and even the trajectories of our lives change. Lord, we are open to you. In this quiet moment, Lord, we surrender. We yield ourselves to you. We invite you, Holy Spirit, We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to get started this morning, David, um, with discovering God's mission all peoples. And really what we want to do for those structural thinkers in the room, all right, what we want to do is give you three core foundational global missions principles, okay? So in section one, you're going to get three principles uh, here, and we're going to start, David, with principle one, mm -hmm. and I'll let you... Habit. Yeah, and so a couple of years ago, uh, in 2021, we really went in depth with this one, and even last year, Matt and Tommy covered it. What you see is a global thread running throughout Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, and we actually went through, I think we touched on almost every book of the Bible. Pretty sure we did. So when people talk about missions, it's really not just a department in a church. So if we ever say, oh, I love ICC, it's a global missions church, that's ridiculous. That's like saying a, a, a car repair shop is really into cars because God, <laughs> or a library, real book-focused library, God's on mission, and you see it from Genesis to Revelation. So there's this global thread running. In fact, right at the beginning in Genesis 12, you see a hint when God says to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And so Abraham must be excited about this. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and, and, and him who dishonors you I will curse. But in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the key to understanding the whole Bible. Do you all see this? This is how you're gonna understand all the way to the throne in Revelation is if you understand the promise made to Abraham. So throughout the Old Testament, we see God promising to bless Israel. And here's the way it's going to work. God is going to bless Israel so much. I mean, crops, 
kids, rain, battles. It's going to be such an amazing blessing that all the neighboring countries are going to go, what is up with this nation? Why is everything so amazing with them? So God's plan was to bless them so much that the other nations were going to come and see who is this? What is this nation? And they were supposed to say, not about us. We're actually a mess. We're a very stiff-necked people. But God, this Yahweh, who is Yahweh? We have all kinds of gods. No, this is the big one. This is the number one. This is the God of the universe. And so they were supposed to come and see Yahweh, come to know him, worship him, and join in. So that was the Old Testament plan. And so you see in Psalm 67, King David, he really got it when he said, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. What a wonderful prayer. Have you ever seen that at your grandmother's house and all nice and knitted on the frame? Okay, <laughs> but often we miss this part at the end, okay? So if you've got this on your wall, I need you to add this, okay? That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. David got it. God bless us that we may be a blessing. So God is not just interested in Israel. You see in every book in the Old Testament. In fact, when these godly kings of Israel and prophets, and whenever they were in trouble and they wanted deliverance, or they needed God to bless them, here's what they would say. God, bless us, protect us, deliver us from this enemy we're surrounded by. And here's how they would end their prayer that all the peoples of the earth may know that you alone are God. Now that's a good way to pray. God, save us from this. I remember Hezekiah, he said that. Why? That all the other nations may know that you're number one. Or they would say that all the world may fear your name. So Israel's problem is they always thought it was about them. So whenever you pray, do you ever pray? I'm sure you've prayed. God, bless me. <laughs> bless my family. Bless my kids. Bless my job. Bless my career. Bless my whole life. The Lord says, okay, why? Let's keep going with that prayer. Remember to finish it with that I may be a blessing to others. Or here's a bigger one. You ready? That your way may be known among the nations. Can you imagine praying that every day? How can I be a blessing to the nations? So Barrett, that's the Old Testament. It's come and see. Tell us what happens in the New Testament. Yeah, so when we get to the New Testament, um, essentially what David was just saying is, you know, we're blessed to be a blessing. Mm -hmm. But when you get to the New Testament, you see kind of a shift. It's the same heart that God has, but the way in which it's kind of operating is a bit different. Because in the New Testament, we are not coming and seeing, we're actually commissioned to go and tell. Yep. Uh, Jesus himself, greatest missionary, right? He's sent from God to us. And he came with a heart for all peoples. Look at his life and look at his ministry. Look at the people he interacted with. He wasn't just about his own people. He was about all peoples. Mm. He, in fact, ruffled some feathers, surprised some people, his own disciples, with the way that he was interacting with people that were across ethnic lines, across political lines. He was obviously here for all peoples. But you see Jesus uh, when he says to his disciples in Matthew 28, which is probably one of the most well-known instructions that Jesus gives, but sometimes we overlook a core piece of it. The instructions to go and make disciples. He says, go therefore and make disciples of what? Of 
Okay, let's say it together a little bit louder and happier. Of what? All All nations. That's right. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so you have this, this shift where Jesus is shaking things up a bit. And he's saying, you know, it's not about just you staying here for other people to come and see you anymore. It's about you actually getting active and going there. I want you to get to all peoples. I'm commissioning you here to be about using your life in such a way that you're working to get to the nations. That's a shift. And it's a beautiful display of the heart of God, but it also is a challenge for us of are we a going people? We also see this in other places in the Gospels, like in Mark chapter 13, verse 10, where Mm -hmm. the disciples come and ask Jesus about the last days. They're trying to figure out when he's going to come back. They've heard he's leaving, and it's like, okay, when is this all going to happen? When is this going to be done? When can we expect you to come back, Jesus? And Jesus says in Mark 13, 10, a very clear statement. The gospel must first be proclaimed to what? All nations. You see this heart and this rock-solid purpose and commitment from God himself saying, this is what I'm after. I will come again when all peoples have had an opportunity to hear of who I am and what I am doing and what I have done in Christ and will do in the future. This is the heart of God extending into the New Testament. Look at Acts chapter 1 verse 8, a familiar passage. Just before Jesus ascended to be with God the Father after his resurrection, his last words to the disciples as they are wondering what comes next. And he promises the power and presence of his Holy Spirit. And he says, but you will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you. But then look at what the the giving of the Holy Spirit, what is the fruit of that to be in their life? What does he say? And you will be my witnesses where? Among the nations, Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the heart of God. This is the purpose of God. This is the clear instruction for us, the church. And then you get to the very end of the New Testament. And again, we're just overviewing. I almost feel bad for how short this overview is. Go listen to the other messages. But at the very end of the New Testament, in Revelation chapter 7, verse 10, John is given this picture of what the end will be like when God makes all things new. And what the vision he's given involves, he says, all the nations... There's a representation, you guys, of all peoples gathered around the throne of the Lamb and they're crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You think God wants us to understand from the first to the last that he has a heart for all peoples and that we should too? Absolutely. And his heart includes you, but his heart includes more than you. And do you have his perspective and do you have his passion? So, um, regardless of where we are, David... I get kind of excited about this stuff. <laughs> Regardless of where we are, whether we're here in Memphis or anywhere, no matter what we're doing, including in the jobs that we have, we are called to be a blessing. We're called to have his heart, his perspective, and his passion. So that is the Bible's global threat. Amen. So let's move on to number two, the second of our three foundational principles of global missions. Yep. And this is a huge paradigm that happened probably 40, 50 years ago in the global missions world is when we've discovered what did we mean by all nations. And so we have to cover that. We covered this once again back in 2021 and last year, uh, maybe briefly. But when, Paul, when, when Barrett just said Matthew 28, 19, Christ commands us to go and make disciples of all nations. The word nations there is ta ethne, all ethnic groups, all people groups. 
So in fact, there's 196 geopolitical countries today, like when we deal with the UN, okay? Those are the countries with boundaries. But there's actually 17,000 plus people groups or ethnic groups. Doesn't that change things a bit? And so you can imagine when we thought, oh, we've, got, we've sent missionaries and, and churches in all the countries of the world, and then we realized, oh my goodness, we're talking about people group. What is a people group? A, a group of people who have a common history, language, religious beliefs, and cultural identity, making them consider themselves us and all others them. So it is an identity. We are a unique people group. So let's look at a, an example. We've got a couple of slides here. So when people see the country of Iran today, you may hear people say Persia, Persian. They speak Farsi. And so it's the country of Iran. So we'd say, oh, these are Iranians. And Iranians are right inside that little border and they're all yellow, right? Nope. That is actually the way we in the world look at maps. This is how God probably sees Iran with all these different people groups, Persians, Azeris, Kurds, Arabs, Baluch, Turkmen, all these different ethnic groups. And the interesting thing about this is they're not just inside of that border. They're all up in these other countries. So if we could really see the way God sees the world, I love maps and I have them on my wall, but they're worthless except for knowing where you're going to get a plane ticket. But in fact, how does God see the world? This is it. Let's look at another slide. For example, look how many different languages are in the country of India. So don't insult Indians when you say, so do you speak Indian? Do you, um, I love Indian food. This is a continent, people. <laughs> so don't tell them I love Indian food. They're just like, okay, I get you. Okay, but. Yeah, um, he's been eating India Palace. We know, we know the deal. That's right, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Look how many different people groups there are. This is a huge task. And so often when you meet somebody from India, they'll speak three, four languages. But you know they're from America because they always speak one, right? Okay, so that is telling you about this ta ethne. So that's what we're looking at. In this passage that Barrett read uh, in Revelation 7, when it says a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Look at that. John saw it. He was talking about ta ethne, all ethnic groups. It just took us a while to see it. So where can we reach these people? Just a side note, which is so interesting. So Barrett, when we talk about going to the nations, when I was young, back yeah. in the 80s, and we were talking about going to countries, we looked at maps. And we talked about things like 1040 window, where most of these least reach are. What's crazy is God's moving people around to neighboring countries. They're immigrating. That's with an E. They are migrating, you could say. They're going as refugees, students. Uh, maybe they're going for work. They're coming right here into Memphis. So basically, the world is being scattered all over. Yeah. Um, so that changes the way we look. So, um, so when we say ta ethne, we are also talking about the diaspora of peoples all over the world. So that is what we would call our second foundational. Yeah. Barrett, what's our third? So we understand the Bible's global thread. Everybody yep. here? Yep. We understand Christ's missiological perspectives. When he's saying to us, go and make disciples of all nations, he's seeing the world through the lens of people groups. Everybody got that? Yep. So now we move to our third and final mission, foundation of principle for this sermon, and it's this, our strategic mindset. 
meaning that the Bible calls us to have a strategic mindset. We are global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God, but as global Christians, we are strategic, and we're thinking about reaching the unreached, okay? So one of our core values is that we will be strategic. I'm not going to teach this, but I just want you to know being strategic is something that is a value to us church-wide as God's people. And as a church, it's something we, we just do because we're called to do it, to be maximally effective for the kingdom. This is huge, what I just put on the screen. What you have to understand is the difference when we're talking about gospel need versus gospel access. All people everywhere need the gospel. We have to understand that. Um, lostness is lostness everywhere, and lostness needs salvation, okay? Equal gospel need where there is lostness. But from a missiological perspective, we have to understand that there are places in the world, there are people groups in the world that are lost, but their lostness is marked by something that gives us great burden. And it's that within their people group, they do not have access to the good news of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. There are no believers there. There are no resources there. There's no way to Google Christian literature there. There are no churches there doing the work of local ministry and evangelism and gospel sharing. And so while, yes, they have the same gospel need as peoples elsewhere, what marks them is that they have no gospel access. And how will they believe unless they hear? And that gives us great burden as believers. And it also gives us strategic insight as to how it is that we could be maximally effective in our time and with the resources we have for the kingdom. Uh, There's a couple of places in the scripture where you see this burden for unreached peoples. Of course, we mentioned earlier how Jesus talks about the end times and how he says this gospel of the kingdom will be be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, to all the ethne, and then the end will come. He has a heart of waiting, yearning. He's long-suffering, desiring the day for those without access to have access to the good news of Jesus, wanting all people the maximum opportunity to believe to experience the joy of his salvation. Paul is probably the best teacher for us as it comes to this because of the way he lived his life. In Romans chapter 15, verse 20, he says, thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. But listen to this phrase, what does he say? Not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. What is he teaching you here? What is God trying to get through to us? He's saying, do you know that there's places in the world where Christ has never been named? I'll never forget you guys going to West Africa where God first began to stir in me a heart for the nations. I lived in a nation there for long, about half a year uh, on an assignment as a teacher of English. The long story short is I'll never forget, it was the first time ever I had been exposed to this whole concept of gospel access when I was relating to young men there who were in my college English classes. And they began to help me understand as I was inviting them, hey, would you be interested in looking at the Bible and learning some English from that? And conversations emerged and they said, we, we have never heard this. We got to the concept of grace and I said, what is that word in your language? And he said, there is no word for grace in our language. And I thought, oh my word. 
Like not only these people are lost, but they have, I am the very first person to ever, to ever tell them that there is a God who came to save us. That there's a God who does not just want our obedience, but is willing to give grace to forgive us. Wow. And Paul's going, do you see it? Do you see that there are places and peoples in the world where Christ has not been named? So what does this mean for us? Okay, this is the last of the foundational principles before we start talking about your jobs, okay? What does this mean for us? We've got to have a strategic mindset. We have to live and we have to think about peoples who don't have the gospel yet. Um, We have to recognize that out of the 17,000 people groups in the world, these are approximate numbers, but around 7,000 are considered unreached. There are peoples, huge portions of people groups in the world today that don't have anyone who has told them yet about Jesus. They've never heard him. They've never had a Bible. They've never, there's no church down the street that's going to put out a sign and, or have believers and say, come in. Join us in the worship of Savior. There's, there's no witness. And that gives us great burden. A lot of these are in what's called the 1040 window. And of course, there's a lot of reasons why it is very difficult to get into some of these places. And we could cover those at a later time. It's not the point of this morning. But I will tell you that there is a a gross disparity of the amount of work and the amount of money that's being done uh, in places like this. And things are shifting. Statistics probably need to be updated, but we are a part of a movement that's trying to shift toward a more strategic mindset for unreached peoples. Mm -hmm. And part of why we are today, I am today as your pastor, I'm sitting here pleading with you to consider the possibility of how your job could be a part of his mission It's because a lot of the places in this window that I just showed you, you're not going to get in these places applying for a missionary visa, friends. But a lot of your companies have locations here where you could transfer. A lot of your skill sets and your jobs, there are hospitals, there are clinics, there are classrooms, there are schools in these places that would welcome help and good workers like you. And so one of the things about being strategic is thinking, oh my goodness, God has blessed me to be a blessing, and part of that looks like thinking about how my life can be maximally effective for the kingdom, and I've got to be thinking about these people who have not yet heard, how could I be a part of that? So um, I think that's it, David, for talking about um, the third principle, and closing out our first section of the message, but... God is is such a a wonderful God, and he's inviting you to see the world as he sees the world. And the question is, are you open? So this is why we're saying at the end of the core truth, we got to have a strategic mindset, and we got to think about our job connected. And talking about job, David, I think we're ready to go to part two, because we're going to start touching on this this week, and we'll really finish it next week. But this whole um, idea of... Well, yeah, we, being a covered, missional professional, like wh- what is this? Well, so we've covered that it's God's mission, it's not ours. We know who we're trying to reach, the nations, and we're recognizing a huge disparaging situation where there's so little gospel in so many places. So we're talking about missional professionals. That's one of the words we're going to be talking about. And what is a missional professional? But I think we're going to start with talking about this word calling. 
So we hear a lot about it, and sometimes it's only used for people that are pastors or missionaries. He's really got a calling. Um, but that means sort of the rest of us don't really have callings. We're not, we kind of get off the hook there, and I disagree. In fact, last year during the Go Week, I remember speaking on this topic and using Isaiah 6, where Isaiah saw the Lord in his glory, and Isaiah was undone. He said, behold, I'm undone. He was so aware of his sin. And then God redeemed him. And after he redeemed him and saved him, he said, Isaiah says, the Lord said, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Okay. Why do you think Isaiah said, send me? Because he fully understands you own me now. You have redeemed me. And Barrett, what, what that means is, you know, we somehow think, oh, I don't know what my calling is. Let's get this primary calling straight. We're called first and foremost to God, and he gets everything, right? God owns us and everything that we are and have. If we meditated on that just today, then asking you about your time, your money, your career, and your future, okay, we have to start with that. So what about our vocations? Does God care about these? And I say yes. These are what we may call our secondary calling. So you may be called to dentistry or teaching, ophthalmology, computers, okay? That's a secondary calling. And so there's nothing wrong with saying, I feel that God is preparing me and calling me into this field. But our trouble lies sometimes when we forget our primary calling. So in this book, I love this book that really helped me by a guy named Os Guinness. Here's what he says calling is. Calling is the truth that God calls us to himself so decisively that everything we are, everything we do and everything we have is invested with a special devotion and dynamism lived out as a response to his summons and service. You see what he's saying? He's saying just like Isaiah, everything now is affected by the fact that I belong to the Lord. So, so therefore, if all that a believer does grows out of faith and is done for the glory, then there is no sacred. You know how we get into that? Oh, I do secular work here. Barrett does spiritual work. He does Christian work. Sometimes we talk about a higher calling. This is something throughout church history. I think I'm choosing the higher calling, Father. Uh, and then there's these lower callings. You're just going to have a day job. No, that, this is destroyed. We, we don't believe that and we need to reject that. There's no first class Christian. Sometimes they will introduce, uh, this is David Frazier and he, he's lived over and man, he's amazing. You can tell a guy's commitment by where, stop it. <laughs> he's trying to put me in a first class. And there were people that, oh, I, I just work over here. I'm just a dentist. I, I thought I was gonna do your work, but God just has got me in a job and I always stop him right there. And I say, this is not what we believe. We need to all see our jobs as our callings and how God and that calling that God, that our calling that, that, that God has on us affects our work. In fact, Martin Luther, during the Reformation, he taught that the, present, the peasant and the merchant can do God's work just as much as the minister and the missionary. What we call this is a proper theology of work. So if you want some books on that, come talk to Baird and I, the business person, the teacher, the doctor, the nurse. 
The stay-at-home mom can glorify God and play their role in mission. So I challenge you, have you thought about God's call on your life and how that affects how you see your vocation? So Barrett, doesn't this primary calling on our lives affect our secondary callings, our vocations? Yeah. <laughs> don't you I don't know what else you want me to say, but yes. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, it does. And I think it's huge. I think it's something that we can, all of us can continue to grow into. We have to be open to being discipled toward a more holistic vision for all of our life. And I absolutely think we also have to, to understand, I think that was something you were covering, but I'll... I'll cover this, as we think about the strategic mindset and we embrace that we are called first and foremost to the Lord and everything that we do mm -hmm. is a part of that bigger, that grand calling. We're all equally called in that, to make much of him. Um, then we have to understand that in order to finish the task of global missions, mm -hmm. then some of us are gonna need to go and we're gonna need to take our jobs with us. Right. We're going to need to, to respond to this call of God and, and continue to do what God has called us to do in our vocational work, but to do it with motivation for him and to do it in places where the gospel is most needed. And so that's why we continue to just encourage you um, to be open, to really consider, um, like, are you open to this? Yep. Are you, have you ever thought about your vocation as a strategic way of fulfilling the Great Commission? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or do you just think about your job as a way of making a living? Do you connect um, the ways that you have skill and have career to the opportunity to, to be a witness for Christ, to open doors for the gospel, to give you unique platforms, to make him known? Mm -hmm. And that is really what we're wanting you to consider. Yep. Now, as we close this morning, what we want to do is answer a question because it's a question that it, once we provide the answer to this question, there's going to be a, enough of a biblical foundation for us to respond and then to move forward Tuesday, Wednesday, next Sunday. Mm -hmm. And as we think about what I just shared, which is how your vocation can really be useful for the gospel, I think the big question that remains that we need mm -hmm. to close with is, is that biblical? Is there a biblical foundation <laughs> like, to this? Amen. There because is. I, that, that feels like kind of a shift. I, I, I don't know if I've thought about that, but like, where are we getting that from the scripture, David? Okay. And so let's spend a little bit of time on this, and then we will uh, close for the day. But let's talk about, yep. yeah, where does this come from in the Bible? So Paul, when you think of Paul, we like to think of him as a missionary. That's what we always say, Paul's missionary journeys. But we're going we're gonna to talk about Paul being a missional professional. So did he have a day job? He did, actually. So lots of times we think he just preached all day. But in fact, it, we see that it's, the book of Acts looks more like your Facebook page, which is all the highlights. A if, hot mess is if, what you're trying to say. No. <laughs> if we look at a Facebook page, we're like, oh, I guess you run 5Ks and go to the Grand Canyon and go to weddings, right? Is that all you do? No. <laughs> what did Paul do throughout the week? Is that the only thing he did? And so we find out, let's look in Acts 18. It says, Paul departed Athens and he went to Corinth and he searched and found a certain Jew by the name of Aquila, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla, 
because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and he tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So Paul reasoned in the synagogue on the weekends. He had a preaching gig on Saturdays, okay? But what did he do during the week? He had a day job. He made tents. What those tents look like? There you go. Maybe. Who knows? But how long do you think it took to this gather supplies? This is an actual supply? photograph of <laughs> yes. Paul's tent. Yes. We found it. We found it. Don't tell anyone. We have this I mean, secret photo. Do you think he made crappy tents? No, he probably made really nice tents. How long did it take him to make them? What's involved in making a tent? He didn't have a machine. So just imagine Paul in this trade, and he went to live with Aquila and Priscilla. So he was interacting with shopkeepers, buying supplies, building relationships, probably following up from his preaching on the Sabbath. So Paul was a tradesman. He actually had a job, a day job. So and you're so trying to say? Paul was a missional professional. I'm like, okay. Okay. So you're saying he was more than just, I left my job and my skills behind to become a missionary. Oh, no. He was actually integrating his job and skills into the calling. And we're going to talk next week more about why he took it with him. We're going to get into more details there. Okay. But he took his job with him. So to lay a foundation as we close, then I need you to help us define what is a missional professional, biblically. Right. right. What is a missional professional? So I think we've got three words here. So if you're continuing to take notes, I encourage you to, to jot down these three words and the remaining definitions before we close. Integrated, intentional, and strategic. All right, we'll start so with So what do we mean by integrated? Holistic, okay? So Paul had a really good theology of work. He did not separate his work from his ministry. He never said, I'm doing ministry on Saturdays and I just do secular work from Monday to Friday. That is not how Paul saw his life. Paul says in Colossians 3, whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Paul, yeah, I make tents. Who for? Whoever buys them. I hire people. I get supplies. I work with this guy. What are you doing, Paul? I do it. I know that from the Lord, we will receive the inheritance of our reward. We are serving the Lord in my work. Do you see your vocation that way now? Do you see your job as unto the Lord? So with Paul, there was no dualism. You know, I do spiritual work. And then I do physical material work. Um, now, Paul integrated. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, whether you work or you're making tents. And by the way, guys, to make a tent, they tell us, took quite a while. And so Paul is going into shops, meeting people. And then he may have just sat in that shop and made tents. And it may have taken him days and weeks. So a missional professional, Barrett, is holistic. He's integrated, living all of life as under the Lord, bringing Christ into all that he's doing. Okay. That's our first word. <clears throat> so for you to consider, what would it look like to be a missional professional? I'm talking about you personally. Mm-hmm. One, it would look like being someone who would choose to live an integrated life. Now, this should be true of us here in Memphis. Amen. But it also can be true of us among the nations of the world, where we see all of life integrated, all right? The second word that we want you to hear is intentional. Intentional. And by this, we mean intentional to share the gospel Mm -hmm. with our words and also through our work. So what we're saying here is a missional professional 
had, has had a, a core shift in, in motivation. Um, the why of why we work and, 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 and really the how, how we work has changed. And deep, deep down, we're motivated to see Jesus known among all peoples. Uh, when you look at Paul, David, it's mm-hmm. really cool. He makes it very clear in the New Testament. So he's working. He's got the tent thing, the skills. Yep. He's engaging with people. Uh, but you, you see here, I go back to this verse in Romans 15. In all of it, he's telling you what his heart is. Mm-hmm. He says, I make it my ambition. In other words, what he's saying is, like, I live with a passion and a purpose. So in whatever it is that I'm doing, yep. my passion and my purpose, what is it? To preach the gospel. I want people to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Yep. I want people to know Jesus. I want my life to count. I want through what I'm doing and how I'm sharing for Jesus to be known through my life. That is his passion and that is his purpose. He's mm-hmm. marked by what we call mm-hmm. a missional mindset. Yep. And if you're going to be a missional professional, what it looks like is embracing this kind of intentionality. To have this kind of clear calling, we talked about this earlier, and to have an active involvement, to live with a passion and a purpose to see the gospel spread and to see churches planted, to see opportunities to see people coming to know Jesus. This is important. I'm trying to make this more practical. So intentional missional professionals, here's what we're saying. They're not just moving to uh, the 1040 window just to do jobs. They do jobs. Um, but they're there for more than that. Mm-hmm. They're there to do a great work, but they're also there so that people might have the opportunity to know Jesus. That's what we're talking about when we talk about you know, intentional. Um, how does this happen? Two basic ways. One is through good work, and the other is through gospel sharing. When we talk about good work, we're talking about, I mean, Paul, he probably made really cool tents. That's what I'm imagining, right? Um, He's able to do his job well as an opportunity to display what is good, to meet the needs of others, to even have a witness. And this is what Jesus, he knows what Jesus has taught his disciples. He teaches us, let your light shine before others so that people may see your good work and give glory to God the Father. Your work in unreached places is in of itself, when it is good and godly work, when it is done God's way for the good of other people, it is a display of the light of Christ in darkness. It is a display of the heart of Christ, the compassion of Christ, the help of Christ, the presence of Christ. The work itself is part of the gospel witness so that others could see us in our work and go, wow, there's something there of God. But also we see and by the way, Jeremiah 29 echoes this when he talks about seeking the welfare of the city. It's important for us, wherever we're planted, to be good servants and to work for good. But we also see it's important to be sharing the gospel. So Paul didn't just make tents and hope that somehow by people using the tent, they get to Jesus. He also was thinking about how to open his lips and to talk to people about Christ. We see several places in the New Testament where he talks about how he didn't only share the gospel, but he also shared his life. He is actively sharing the gospel. He's asking for prayers in Colossians chapter three. 
that we might be watchful, that God might open doors of opportunity for us to speak the word of Christ, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which he suffered so much. He's encouraging us in Colossians 4, 2, to walk in wisdom with those who don't know Christ, to make the best use of time, to consider the opportunities to allow our speech to reek of Jesus. So if you want to be a missional professional, you have to learn to be intentional. I think, David, um, about a woman in our church, Mm. who I will not name, who went, we commissioned her out seven years ago to one of the most unreached and dark places in South Asia. And she went as a doctor, as an OBGYN. And that's how she got in. And she was a darn good OBGYN. Right. She brought skill to that hospital and that entire region. She was able to be a part of helping set up systems and structures in that clinic that was allowing babies to be born much earlier than they had ever been born in that area and, can, and have a chance of life. She was able to allow women to live when they got into emergency situations because she was such a skilled surgeon. She was an incredible professional in this place, but she also had the heart of a missionary. She was intentional with her words too. She was sharing when their right opportunities were open. She was sharing much of Jesus. I'll never forget going over there. And I couldn't believe, first of all, that I got to go in, but I did, and I got to visit that hospital, and I got to tour it with her, and I'll never forget walking into the hospital that day, and this woman in a burqa from across the room comes running over in a different language. I didn't understand what's happening, but I knew she was excited to see our, our friend who was there. And I saw tears, I saw hugs, I saw joy, and the woman was holding this two, two-year-old-ish child, And after it was all over, I said, what just happened? And I learned this child lived because our our missional professional was there. Amen. This child would not have lived, and maybe the mom would not have lived if our missional professional was not there. And this mom was essentially, hadn't seen our missional professional in a couple of years, and they're getting to reunite, and she's pouring out, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, look at my child, thank you, thank you, thank you. And it's this overwhelming joy, oh, the good work. And, but then to know that that joy, after learning the story later, was connected to Jesus mm. because of how our missional professional had been intentional, not only with her work, but with her words. Yep. This woman now had a witness who would have never had a witness if it had not been for this one going over with her skills in medicine with a heart to be intentional to get the gospel to those who have not heard. Aren't you grateful for the joy of being a missional professional. The third and final thing as we close today. Yep, the third word is strategic. And I remember choosing, actually, when I went to grad school, thinking about a strategic platform. So if you ever <laughs> you wanna come up to me and tell me what you do, or you tell me your skill set, I'll immediately be beginning to think of how strategic that might be in going into another place or another country. Sometimes we need to get into parts of cities. Many of us can't get in, you can get in. Countries. So the, the word here is strategic, and I was strategic in that. I decided that I found out the world wanted to speak English, and so I got my master's in teaching English, and I was able to use that career, that skill, for the 20 years I lived in the Middle East. We call it a creative access job, and many of you have it. 
So embracing God's heart for the world can, can even affect our choice of where we work. So this friend you're talking about, I remember talking to her. She could have gone here. She could have gone here. Yep. She said, no, I want to go there. Yep. Like that great old Scottish missionary that said, I want to take my one lamp, my one light to the darkest corner on the planet. That's exactly what I was thinking. If, if, if your trade can be used in many places of the world, we'd love to see you get into a place yeah. that most of us can't. Yeah. So that's about being strategic. So Paul went to pioneer areas, cities, where there was no gospel. And he was able to come into town and say, hey, I'm a tent maker here. We're, I need to buy some leather and some wood. And he was using his trade to engage people. He found opportunities to teach. Hey, there's a place over here. You can use my place. He probably... His tent-making shop was probably a preaching shop. They probably had their first <laughs> church there because Paul integrated it all together and he, and he built relationships. And so tent-makers or missional professionals can do some amazing things. They can conserve scarce mission funds at a time of rising costs. Some of you say, David, I've thought about missions, but I really don't want to raise support. That's okay. Well, there are people who can, you, we can get you a job and you don't need any support. There are some that go over with a job, but they still need some support. But what an amazing gift you would be. You can bring real services to a community. I remember going to the university I taught. I was the only native English teacher on campus. And I was the only Christian at that school. You can empower locals with work. I know people that have started companies, businesses, coffee shops, clinics, and then they hire locals. You may be our best hope to complete the task. That's what we keep talking about, is that Jesus says, we need to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, and all peoples must hear the gospel. How are we going to get in these places, Barrett? I'm going to tell you all, if you're in school and you're becoming a professional in something, you're our best hope for completing this task. So as we close, we're talking about missional professionals here. We're talking about missionaries who are real professionals. Yep. We're talking about professionals who are really mm-hmm. missionaries. That's right. And we're talking about these folks living integrated, intentional, and strategic lives overseas. The theme of this conference is his mission, our job. And today we've tried to help you know God's heart for all people. We've also tried to help you see that there's a possibility that we want you to be open to consider. Could your vocation, your skill, your path in life, could it be useful for what God is doing to reach all peoples? In our generation, are you open to just think about it? To think about living for the greatness of God and the gladness of all peoples and to do it while taking your job with you? That's what we've been trying to say today, and we've been saying that every follower of Christ has this opportunity to consider our role. What is your role? So as we close today, I just want to extend an invitation to you to be open to God, to be open to the stirring of God. What is the role God would have you to play? You have to have a role. We all have a role. We don't get a choice in that. That's what it looks like to be redeemed, to be following Christ. He has given us the task of going and being a part of this work. But what is your role? And how could you consider the unique skills and career that you have as a part of what God is doing among the nations? So as we close today, I just put up this verse and I'll ask our worship team to come. 
I said it to you at the beginning, Luke 2, Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, they're few. And he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest for more laborers to be sent. And so as we close today, I just want to, I just want to do just that. I just want to pray. I just want to, to leave space for us personally and collectively to just pray. We've chosen a response song this morning that I believe is very fitting for this time of prayer. But as the words are sung, I want you to think less about just trying to sing them right and more about how can you could make this a personal prayer from your heart. If the song distracts you, just, just don't sing. Just sit and just surrender. Just pray as God leads. God loves you. Oh, he loves you so much. He gave himself for you. The work is finished. You can come, repent, and believe in Christ. If you're here today, oh, and you haven't received and believed in his love for you, haven't been made new, the greatest decision you'd make today is just to come to him who loves you. When we talk about him loving all peoples, that includes you. And this morning, you can come to him. You can surrender to him. You can receive him. Believe upon Jesus. Jesus lived for you, for righteousness. He died for you, for your forgiveness. He rose again. He is a triumphant savior. He is a promise giver who is also a promise keeper, and he can make you new. By the work that he's done, he can put you in right relationship with God, and he can fill you with his presence, and he promises that you'll be with him always. So you can come to Jesus. For those of us who know Jesus, we have been blessed. We have been saved to be a blessing. We have been saved to be set apart for his glory. So right now you can just pray, oh God, would you give me a passion and a purpose? Father, would you, would you give me an understanding that I'm a part of what you're doing among all peoples? Would you give me a burden for those who haven't heard you yet? And would you give me a desire to do all that I can do to be a part of getting the good news of you to people who have not yet heard Father, I want to surrender myself. I want to surrender my family. I want to surrender my job. I want to surrender my resources. Father, I want to be open to your leading. I want to be a goer or a sender or supporter. I am surrendered. Help me to know, Lord, what it is that you're doing. So let's just surrender ourselves today to the one who loves us and who gave himself for us, the one who is passionately pursuing all peoples, including us and who's working with great purpose in the world for things that in the end really matter. We surrender, Lord. Thanks again for listening to this Bible teaching from Island Community Church. We want to encourage you to join us for worship in person soon. No podcast can replace God's good design of gathering with other believers in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church, visit us at iccmemphis.com. We offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.